Steve, happy Monday, man. How are you? Uh, good. It's Friday, though. You just lied. Oh, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> I will be, Monday morning, I will be taking back equipment to a rental place. So, yeah, we're pre-recording things because I have a whole uh, whole bunch of honeydews to do this weekend. <laughs> nice. That's springtime, man. It's starting to, I wasn't even looking, f- no, I was like looking forward to spring, but it just wasn't on my radar. But we've had a couple, like, 65 degrees day- days here in Boise, and it's like, oh, this is freaking nice. You know, like went out oh. hiking at lunch the other day, uh, went to Table yeah. Rock and you're just covered in sweat. And it's just kind of a good feeling versus, you know, when you're hiking with just a bunch of layers of clothes on and it's 30 degrees, it just feels good to kind of sweat that out. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And just getting the kids are outside playing more and yeah, spring, springtime is pretty awesome. Yeah. It's, it truly has been good. Like Cameron's, uh, playing baseball now and they've been practicing indoors but now it's nice enough where we've been able to you know the evenings after dinner go outside and play catch and like those little things i mean that's life is good when you can just get out there and do that yep yep yeah for sure um yeah i snuck away last weekend i was planning on backpacking uh and i took last friday off and the plan was to go backpack and get in a bunch of miles kind of as like a training hike for the death hike a bit and Last minute on Thursday, I was like, oh, you know what? Let me just see if I can pull Cameron out of school and we'll go have a little man camping uh, weekend. So uh, it was fun, man. He came home from school Thursday night and I was like, hey, bud, instead of going to school tomorrow, would you rather go camping with dad? He was like, what? <laughs> so it was fun, man. We loaded up the truck with guns and baseball stuff and fishing poles and just were outside for 48 hours straight it was awesome oh that's cool i can't wait till my my boy and and daughter hopefully is old enough that that is you know an awesome possibility yeah yeah it's a lot of fun um a little bit of i don't want to call it housekeeping but just as a follow-up you know we mentioned i think it was in the just the latest monday minute about that whole idea of things you wish you knew or like things that you know as you get some experience you may take for granted that you don't necessarily remember or think of um to share with newer hunters so it's kind of like you don't know what you don't know and when you do know it's hard to remember what you didn't know like that whole issue and we reached out to get feedback from you guys the listeners and just want to say number one thank you uh to everybody who submitted things and number two if you haven't yet feel free to uh send an idea our way but it's it's been cool to see those uh emails come in um, and we're definitely going to share that in the future. I mean, we have a, a list of some, you know, big things and little things, honestly, that I thought, man, that is a really good point to be able to share with newer hunters or just things on that uh, topic. So keep them coming. If you if something comes to mind, send it to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Um, and then otherwise, we'll follow up and do a podcast and probably kind of like a recap article uh, with some of that as well. So to the guys who have submitted some ideas there. Thanks for that. It's been, it's been fun to see those come through. Um, yeah, in terms of let's dive into some listener questions. We, we have a whole bunch and it was, uh, fun last week to do the podcast with the behind the scenes. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. But this week back to a uh, normal Monday minute and a normal Wednesday episode, uh, to kick things off, Steve, one of the questions that came through was, uh, from a guy who just purchased a new XO pack and he says, I'm wondering if you guys have any personal hacks slash secrets that you do when setting up your personal pack. Uh, so he just got his, you know, he's starting to play with it, get out of the box. And he's just basically asking about any little personal tweaks, things we do in terms of setup, maybe accessories or 
yeah, just a little thing. So I thought it'd be fun to maybe talk about that personally versus, you know, just the generic, hey, go watch our fitting video, get out and hike, you know, look at fitting and adjustment. So anything come to mind for you? Uh, I, I mean, I, you know, run a pretty stock pack in that uh, I don't run a lot of accessories. I, <laughs> you know, if you've listened along, I'm definitely like the minimalist stuff, uh, minimalist uh, mindset. So, you know, typically I'll run one hip belt pouch, one stash pocket, uh, and that's it. I don't run a lid. Uh, I'll run like my 3200 without a lid. Um, and then that's kind of my setup. And I'll, I'll throw the accessory straps in that we have um, for when I do kill something and get antlers on top of the on top of the bag frame there to hold them in place. Just drop those down in the, one of the side pockets. That's kind of my setup, man. I don't... Um, I use a crib. I, when I'm, I'm doing sales on the phone, answering when you're out one day or something, someone asks about a crib. My recommendation is like, I, they're awesome. I love it, but I always just save weight when I can. So I have one in my truck. If I ever like kill an elk solo, it's, I'm going to use it for, you know, that second, third, fourth trip. Um, but the initial, it's not with me when I'm backpacking. Um, and then as far as fit goes, you know, I, obviously you've got a lot of adjustments there. You know, I've built a lot into the K3. You've been able to dial the belt in uh, so adjust the width on it on the on the frame lower uh it's, it's really important that that the foam gets around the front of your hip bones uh and then it's not so far around that when you, you know put 100 pounds in that you max it out so you just kind of want to find that balance of basically you can just kind of make sure it's wrapped around the front of your hip bones and then you know you don't even need weight in the pack you can just tighten that belt until you can't breathe anymore um and as long as you're not maxing it out you're good to go and then on the harness, um, you know, I just set the torque. I mean, that, that's kind of second nature. I just know I'm on the third slot up from the bottom and uh, <laughs> just put it there and leave it there. I don't really mess with that much. Uh, I do run my harness. You know, we talk about that in the fitting videos, but I do run it very loose a lot of the time, right? Um, we just, you know, the, have all the straps loose. So sternum strap, um, the main straps going down to the, to lower and your load lifters have all those loose. Um, I'll just lightly snug up the shoulder harness. So the width of it is sitting where I want it. Um, I see it a lot of guys. Well, I see both, both ends of the spectrum. Some guys tighten it too much. So it's like kind of pulling the harness in at an angle, like towards the center of your chest more than it needs to be. You just want to naturally sit on the center of your shoulders. And I also see other guys don't they kind of what the mistake they make is they tighten up the harness first and it kind of pulls it out into their armpits and then they tighten up the sternum strap. Um, but so I just kind of set, I use the sternum strap to set the width. And then I just really just kind of walk each side of the, of the main harness webbing um, to where it's snug, where I feel the pack pull into my back, um, but not like too much, just it's pulled in. So it's not floppy on my back and then just lightly snug up the load lifters. And that's, that's it. Um, one trick we've talked about is when you are really heavy, um, hike, you know, get everything on, start hiking. And after about a mile, if you just, just barely loosen up the main shoulder harness webbing, you know, like let the webbing slide like half an inch back out. Um, it's effectively kind of lengthening your torso. So after you've hiked that mile, you know, if you got 80, 100, 120 pounds on there that the pack's always going to work its way down a little bit. So you're just kind of effectively lengthening the torso by doing that. So loosen up the main harness webbing just a touch, and then you go back to your load lifters and just 
just snug those a little bit. And the trick only works once. Like you can't keep doing <laughs> yeah. that because you're just loud. It's just sliding down and down and down. But if you, you know, after that mile, you're like, oh, there's a little bit more weight on my shoulders and feels comfortable. You just kind of do that. And then it's like, oh, that feels really good. So, um, said so it's really easy to make that mistake of over tightening the harness. Um, and you can really play with it by just having that be loose. And then if the pack is floppy at all, then you just grab the load lifters and just, just pull them in enough to get things kind of snug. Um, the only exception to that is a heavy pack. And that could be, you know, you're going in for 10 days and you got 55 pounds on there with water and a gun. Um, or it could be, you know, packing an elk out of a down timber jungle, you know, mess. Um, I will tighten up the harness and tighten up the load lifters too. I would say almost uncomfortable, but I get them snug just to keep the pack from, you know, just really lock it into my upper body so Stability. that when I'm leaning, yeah, just for stability. So when I'm leaning up and over and crawling around, you know, logs, um, that it's really stable on my back. Uh, and then the second I get to like, okay, now we're on a ridge and we're just walking down, I'll loosen that all back up. Um, that's kind of it. The, I run one lumbar shim encourage guys to play with that for me there is like the difference between no and two is there's there's quite a bit of difference in there it doesn't look like much but that little quarter inch of stiff foam back there um does matter um and uh man i'm trying to think of anything else always make sure the hip belt webbing's loose on the side these are all generic <laughs> things we talk about but that one really matters um i mean that that one matters enough we've you know multiple times just thought about taking it out of the design like going to a different system um but it's it's also just pretty convenient to have that there for it's just universal to have that webbing there for holsters and stuff that doesn't you know not exo specific um mm -hmm. so yeah cool yeah I'm, I'm like you i mean there's not there's not a ton of like secrets or hacks uh quote unquote which is what the guy was asking about um i think one thing that gets overlooked i would say by most guys and we've talked about this on the podcast so it might not be news to everyone listening but um is just one of the things that i really appreciate is the versatility of the hydration pouch um or the hydration compartment so um just don't overlook that i mean it's oversized yes it's great for your water bladder but it's great for a heck of a lot more um in a couple key ways i use that is i do run a stash pocket in there some guys overlook the fact that there's an additional stash pocket mounting point in that zipper mm -hmm. Um, they just yep. think of the main bag or the lid. Um, but I really like keeping a stash pocket back there. That's uh, more of my kill kit type stuff, right? So it's not something I want in the way as I'm getting into gear I'm using all the time. But if it's, you know, my knife or some just kind of like emergency items, it's back there and secure and out of the way. And then at the same time, um, other items like game bags that I just don't use much, I'll just drop them in the bottom of that hydration compartment. So they're they're down in there and they have them when I need them. But otherwise, again, they're just out of the way. So just the versatility of that. And then as we've talked about prior, you know, using that as wet storage. So if you have wet rain gear or tent fly or something like that, you can always keep that back there. So it's separate from your main gear. So, um, yeah, that's just one little thing that comes to mind. But otherwise, like you, I pretty much just run one hip belt pouch. I'll typically do two stash pockets, um, one in the main bag, one in that hydration compartment. Uh, rifle carrier if I'm rifle hunting um, yeah and then just you know things like a dry bag liner only truly if I need it, it has to be pretty extreme conditions um, the other thing I'd say you mentioned the crib Steve um, I 
really, really like it for training. Um, so this time of year, I, well, all times a year, just because I'm spoiled and have an extra frame to train with, but I just pretty much keep a frame loaded with anywhere between 45 to 85 pounds year round with a crib. Um, and that's just my training pack. So hike two to three times a week and it's just a frame and a crib and that works out great. Um, if it's summer and I need the hydration, you can hook up the Slurpee stalker to the crib. Um, that's a pretty slick training setup. If you're doing a longer hike and you really need that hydration with you. Um, yeah, so cribs great for packing out, you know, boneless meat and things like that in the field. But for me, it's a, a training tool as much as anything. So um cool yeah let's uh move on steve you sent me a photo i feel like it was maybe two or three weeks ago and you got the new Swaro range finding binos in and you were playing with them and we actually had a a question uh apparently from someone who's is quite the baller because he, <laughs> he was asking about have you guys used the nl pure and the new el range ta what would be your preferred option between the two so he's talking about Swarovski binoculars, the NL Pures are uh, a newer model, high end from them, and then they have uh, their updated EL Range TA with some pretty unique like tracking features and things like that in them. So both uh, high level optics, and obviously if you're gonna invest in something like that, you wanna make sure you're getting what you want. But Steve, you've gotten to demo both and play with them, and pros, cons, thoughts for that guy. Yeah, that, I've. Uh... I've talked about this with quite a few guys just on individual level of man, the pure, I got to use the peers last year on the sheep hunt. Uh, they are incredible glass. Um, just absolutely incredible. I don't, I don't know what else to say. Um, and it was like, yep, those are what I'm going to be running for the future, you know? <laughs> and then these, um, the exception is on a rifle hunt, like on the elk hunt, I use those SIG, uh, their BDX range, range finding binos, the glasses, um, okay. Um, you know, it's fine during daylight, not great in low light, but the, having the, all the ballistics built into the range finding app, um, being able to, you know, from a rifle perspective, just throw your glass up, you're looking at elk and just have a button right there. You click on and like, Oh crap, those are in range. You know, I'm constantly, um, uh, ranging while I'm hunting to know, even if there's no animal on a hillside, I'm just constantly like, Oh, this, how far is that? So, I want to, you know, in my mind, be prepared. If all of a sudden an elk steps out of there, I know it's in range, right? I don't got to like stop and think about it and then pull out my range finder. I've already done that. And that's just crazy convenient, obviously, when you're just glassing with your binos and pull it up and bam, range. You don't got to, you know, my range finder is always in my pocket and I got to pull it out and range. It's just a really nice feature to have. So when these Swaros came out, um, I was like, oh man, these could be cool. And so, yeah, we got just starting to get some in stock at SNS Archery and took them home and played with them and pretty freaking cool, man. I didn't, haven't done much with the tracking assistant thing. I've, um, the few guys I've talked to are getting mixed results on the, the accuracy of it. You know, there, it gets them within 40 feet, but it's not getting them to the, the exact place they shot. Can you explain um, the high level concept of that for guys who might not have seen it? Man, no, uh, <laughs> I should get, get Rob on here to talk about it. He's researched yeah. it a bunch. Um, so even without it can use, uh, basically create a compass bearing is my understanding. So it'll know the, like, it won't know where you ranged from, but it'll know the direction, the compass bearing and the distance. Right. So if you know where you ranged from, um, uh, and this is without cell phone service with cell phone service, it 
ties into your phone's GPS and knows where you range from. But without cell phone service, you're up in the mountains. Um, it was, it's supposed to work where, you know, you're standing under a tree and you can, you know, say you, to me, the scenario where this makes sense, right. Is you, you shot an animal and you, you go over there and you're trying to see like where you found it. We had this happen last year. Um, we did an exo bear hunt in June and, uh, uh, uh Bayless, one of our friends up in Washington had shot a bear and we dropped down this brushy Canyon, came up the other side. It was only like, it was only a 400 yard shot, but we got up the other side. And it was so brushy. You just lost all perspective. I'm like, man, where, was he a hundred yards up the hill? Was he below us? Was he left? Was he right? Um, and so when I first saw this tracking assistant thing came out, I was like, this could be freaking awesome for finding, you know, where you shot. Um, anyways, you're supposed to be able to kind of go to where you think you shot range back at the, the tree that you were standing under or whatever it was. And it'll give you like, okay, you should be 20 yards left and 40 yards back. It'll start steering you to the direction. And, um, so that's the theory behind it. I just, it's just not working as good as I think people were hoping. So maybe there's some bugs to fix uh, update or, or maybe that's just as good as it gets. I don't know. And then when you're in town, it just, it pulls off your GPS. So it has a, you know, it's got a, the, the binos have the built-in compass, um, and then it's syncing with your phone It knows where you're standing. And then it actually put, you can open up a map and it'll show you like where you're standing, what the item you ranged was, or exactly it was. And that I think is working pretty decently. Um, it gets you within 20 feet, you know? So, mm -hmm. yeah. What is glass quality? Um, do you feel like they're like on par with SLCs or the EO range TAs? Um, um, yeah, I think they're on par with SLCs, um, ELs, you know, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. I, 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 I just glassed at my house one evening. So they, you never know until you, frankly, I want to spend a week conditions. with binos. Yeah. In different conditions and lighting and, you know, some look great for five minutes, but after you know, an hour of picking apart a hillside, you start getting a headache. I mean, that's where good glass pays for itself. So. Mm -hmm. Cool. We had a, another question, but obviously related to this conversation of just open-ended, what is your preferred bino option for rifle hunting? And you hit it, Steve, but having now used range finding binoculars and then specifically range finding binoculars with ballistics, I just can't imagine going back, um, if possible. Uh, and if you, you know, your rifle hunter, like you and I, Steve, we bow hunt and rifle hunt. Um, I just, I can't, I just don't picture investing in binoculars that don't have those capabilities at this point. Um, it truly is just, it, it changes everything. Oh, just having one unit is nice. As you said, even aside from a shot opportunity, just being able to glass and range stuff and know that that hillsides, you know, in general, four to four fifty, um, it, it's just such a game changer. So, um, we've both run those, those SIG Kilo 3000 BDX, I think retail on those is 11 ish, but I definitely see them street price under a thousand. Sometimes I think as cheap as like eight fifty. Um, they're, they're fast in terms of ranging, as you said, Glass quality isn't going to be Swaro quality, you know, at the end of the day. But um, for most of daylight, they're they're more than usable and, and good. Um, it's just you definitely notice them fade off, um, you know, not pick up low light situations as well. Um, so, yeah, those are great. I, I borrowed the, um, the Zeiss option from our buddy JD and ran those for uh, a hunt. Those were really nice. So, yeah, I just... It, if you're a rifle hunter at all and you're considering new binoculars, 
look at range finding options with ballistics. It's it's awesome for sure. Um, I think Vortex came out with an option not too yeah. long ago. Too, well, yeah, right? we just we just got a pair of them in the office this week. Oh, well, they go. have a very robust um, software built into them. Um, it's the applied ballistic stuff, and it's it's like very robust. I think for that you know that uh, target prs type shooter that's that wants every drop of data i believe it can even do wind like you can point the um, the binos into the wind and it and then you'd have to you have to input the value of the wind but you can basically point the binos into it and then i'll tell you like with it and then your phone you say this is an eight mile an hour wind and then in the readout of the um range finder it'll give you that calculation for your wind dial yeah. um which is pretty freaking crazy so right yeah yeah that's i mean if you guys are researching options in that ballpark of range finding binoculars with ballistics there definitely are differences aside from even glass quality right so when it comes to the ballistics engine um you said applied ballistics like that's a very specific uh ballistics engine that you know vortex or sig also uses applied ballistics they're essentially licensing um that computation um, from applied ballistics, other brands are not going to use applied ballistics and either have their own uh, formulas for ballistics. Some of the binoculars will have um, onboard sensors, so like um, you know the Zeiss is a good example where it's truly doing a temperature, pressure, uh, and maybe humidity, like those types of variables from the binocular. So not getting it from pairing it with your phone or from the app, but truly getting it on board built into the binocular, whereas the SIG does not have those sensors on board the binocular. You can pair it with your phone. Your phone can pull you know, certain environmental uh, environmental data and then transfer it to the binocular. Um, gosh, yeah, that, there's other that things. That was what was most appealing to me about the Swaros, and, and I know the Zeiss do the same, is it's a built-in, it does everything but wind. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's a 500-yard shot, it's going to throw in temperature. It's going to throw in barometric pressure. Um, which is also elevation, um, mm-hmm. and really give you a true dial. Uh, and then you just got to adjust for wind. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, you know, to some guys that's going to matter. Some guys it, it won't. Yeah, right? right. So yeah. if you're shooting 500 and in, you know, there's a lot of variables you don't have to account for as much as if you're trying to make a poke at 800. Um, right. you know, and that's even a good point yardage. Like the SIG's a great example. It can range out to depending on the target, like the laser's capable in certain targets of, I think, like 2,000 yards, but the ballistics are only going to computate out to 800 yards, for example. So you might be able to range and say that's 1,300 yards, but it's not going to tell you, okay, now you need to dial or hold, you know, this much MOA or this, this, this many mils. It'll do that out to 800. So yeah, when you get to looking at the category of binoculars in general, those are some of the things you can look for is the yardage capabilities or sensors built on board do you have to get them from the app like there's there's definitely differences aside from just glass quality uh keep going with optics steve um <laughs> kind of curious to hear your answer to this question um i'm looking to step up my glassing game and get a spotting scope set up this year and wondered if you had any recommendations for a spotting scope and tripod I realize not much will be to Swaro, but what do you recommend for a lighter budget, like max around the $1,500 range? Uh, Steve, I've heard you talk in the past about like either spend money on a spotting scope or don't. <laughs> $1,500 um, range, go find a used Swaro like ATS. 
Okay. Yeah. Hands out. Cause a 10 year old ATS is still going to be, you could probably find one for that price, maybe cheaper. Um, and still going to be better than, than anything else you could buy. That's $1,500 brand new. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what do you feel like, where's the, uh, a good entry point for guys buying new now, right? So is that something like the Koa you've talked about and still I mean, if, the if you, Swaro? Honestly, yeah. I mean, I'd look at if if your budget's like you know you just absolutely can't spend more than eight hundred bucks. I mean, I think some of the Vortex offerings are going to be decent. Nikon's got some decent stuff. Um, I don't know, I'm missing a bunch. There's uh athlon optics uh mm-hmm. a guy just brought um they have like this kind of it's like a miniature 65 um and i just literally just looked at it at the at the shop on a sunny day and it was like that's freaking clear image um you know who knows what it is does in low light and different conditions and stuff like that and at max zoom but you can kind of tell like it's not uh it's not junk by any means right like it was mm-hmm. pretty decent um, probably hold its own and i think those are right in that price range 800 bucks something like that yeah. um so I, so I think there's some stuff out there it's just ah, man i mean the difference I think you're just that coming or, you know. from the position of in the end if you were to buy a, a spotting scope like that you're going to want to end up upgrading after truly yeah. using that scope you're, in the field you, and so what you're saying is yeah. just don't waste your time like yeah. save a little longer and get something that's gonna you'll last. just be disappointed like eventually you're gonna hunt next to a buddy who's got a swirl and and be like ah man i need to sell this and upgrade so just you know some, like i said on sunny days and good lighting conditions anything can look good over the course of a week-long hunt you're just going to want the, the better optics. So, um, and sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. Like sometimes the atmospheric conditions are just such crap that even the best optics don't look good. Right. Um, but just over the long haul there, it's, you're going to get what you pay for. So, and, um, and then really, you know, they all look good at the low end, say it's a 15 to 45 or a 20 to 60, even the cheap stuff's going to do decent at 20. But once you go, probably halfway into the zoom range so uh 20 to 60 once you hit 40 it's just going to start falling off where you know from 50 to 60 is not even usable like you're going to get a better image and better lighting and everything when you back that back out to 30 right um that's that's definitely a difference you're going to get so um yeah i don't know i think um like i think you'd be better off with if you couldn't afford I think a high powered bino on a tripod is probably a really good alternative, like a, you know, a pair of 15 by fifties or 18 by something on a tripod. That's probably a better investment than a, than an $800 spotting scope. Um, Cause that's going to, that, you know, it's less magnification. That bino is just going to be clear. It's not as finicky on, on the quality of glass. Um, that'd be a, something to look at. Yeah. That's one thing I've noticed with the, the cheaper spotting scopes is that not only is the clarity not there, but because the clarity is not there, you're just creating that fatigue, right? So you're using the one eye, you're spending time. I think already uh, with a fair amount of folks, like a spotting scope just has the potential for more fatigue than binoculars in general. So then when you pair that with a lower quality glass, it's like, I think you're right. You'd be better off 
more comfortable for a longer duration of time, even if you don't have the power, but being behind binoculars versus a spotting scope that just doesn't have the clarity. Mm, yeah. The, the other thing that came to mind on that too is, you know, and it don't have the context for this guy's needs, his hunts, what have you, but, um, you know, there's, I'm, I'm a good example of, I, I just flat out haven't invested a ton of money in a spotting scope because I don't need it for many of my hunts and I'm not a diehard mule deer guy, for example. Right. So, but if I were, you know, so you draw this mule deer tag and <clears throat> now you have the need and you really want a spotter. Number one is either check around, see if you can borrow something like for a week for a trip. Or number two, if you can't, there are um, even rental programs. So uh, like Darren Cooper, he has Rent Guns and Gear. You can rent a Swirl from him for a week. So if you have this like very specific need for a hunt and you're not sure that you want to drop a couple grand or that you're going to need to use that much in the future, um, look at Beg, Borrow, Rent, Steal, you know, uh, and see <laughs> yeah. if you can just get no, set legit, up for a hunt. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't I don't pack a spine scope. I mean, even on a mule deer hunt, I'm... Like good glass, good binoculars on a tripod is really all I need. Um, the exception like that, the sheep hunt. I mean, that's, I, you know, I'm going to pack the biggest, baddest glass I can this year to, because uh, you freaking need it. I mean, it's a matter of losing your hunting license for a year or not if you shoot a sublegal ram. So you mm -hmm. want every freaking advantage you can possibly get and you need big glass to, to zoom in on that sucker and make sure he's legal. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all, there's all kinds of context, right? I mean, some, yeah. some hunts you live and die by your glass. You could be down, um, I don't know, looking for tiny coos deer, right? Like there's all right. kinds of different scenarios, but just think about, do you for what you need really need to make that investment? And maybe, maybe the money's better spent somewhere else. Um, yeah, it's just always worth weighing it. Um, cool. What's, uh, there's one more pack question, Steve, not to get too pack heavy, but, um, I had this question and also talked to, gosh, I feel like five customers this week already that we're going on or planning uh, for moose hunts this fall. Um, this guy says, I'm going on a drop camp moose hunt in Alaska, so I'm looking for a pack that can haul out a massive moose hindquarter. I see other packs with a load shelf, a physical shelf, and want to know if there's an advantage there. Why do so few packs have a true load shelf? What pack would be good for this type of hunt? Uh, and then he also says, I'm hoping to go on a sheep hunt in the near future as well. So I'm looking for a pack that can do uh, both of those trips. So I think it was, you know, he's referring to uh, an external frame with a true uh, fixed mm -hmm. bottom, you know, an extended actual shelf there. Um, so any thoughts on, obviously we can speak from our experience, but not having that, do you really lose anything by it? you know is the exo moose quarter capable like those types of questions yeah uh <clears throat> yeah it's absolutely capable uh done it um guys that would get photos every year of hind quarters strapped on there it's a big chunk of meat man you're like 140 Massive. pounds of 150 pounds of quarter um but i can do it like yeah, i would and i would absolutely pack a crib on that hunt um because i would just take the bag off and literally just use a crib and and get that sucker out of there um but yeah absolutely it's going to do it and do it do it very very well so probably more comfortable than you know a, a pack frame would frankly depending on the you know the pack frame model design but uh, yeah. in general i'd say that's true so 
Yeah. And with something like the crib, you're essentially creating that bottom, right? So yes, the, the, right. the right. metal uh, or the structure of the frame does not extend parallel to the ground. You don't have this fixed bottom extending, but with a crib, you're essentially achieving that to keep that quarter supported. Yep. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, if, if guys are curious about uh, moose hunts, I mean, we, we even have some guides who uh, do multiple moose a year and yeah <laughs> those are big big loads for sure for sure um cool yeah that's a that's a good one on this steve um as always guys thank you so much for sending questions whether it's gear related or something else altogether. um we're happy to answer them and we'll tackle them in a future monday minute just send us an email to podcast at xmontgear.com we also have a handful of questions that's uh when Jake interviewed you and I last week, Steve, that we didn't get to. So we'll have to get him back on and uh, throw some more of those questions at our way as well. So as always, guys, thank you for tuning in. Appreciate the support. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great time of year. Spring's coming. Um, just want to say to everybody, don't don't wait to get out and get your pack put to work. Or if you're shopping for a pack, now's a great time to buy. Stuff's in stock and th- things only get crazier from here. So uh, it's something that's even on my radar is just getting ahead of the game this year, getting geared up and training and all that stuff. So enjoy this time of year. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.